0: Yeah, Debbie, I think she was telling Chastity that I had told her Friday. I said, it's kind of strange. I'm usually finishing up my message Friday and Saturday when I get a text message from Kevin at 1.30 in the morning Saturday. (laughs) And said, I've got 101 fever, and I think it's about what it was. And... So uh, I said, okay. So I laid back down, and about five minutes later, I got up. (laughs) So I had to cram about a week's worth of study into yesterday. But I I am grateful to be here, very grateful. Um, I will tell you this, and I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I, I would never have made the choice to leave Shores on my own. God's faith, and I was glad to do what he wanted me to do I would just ask you as our new family that you would pray for Shores and uh, I really appreciate the hymns and I was back there writing feverishly and Christy, no, I was not preparing my message. I I was reminded of an old hymn that always strikes me. The words of this hymn. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners, true proclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be Hallelujah! What a savior! This morning, I know the second candle is the candle that marks peace, and I wonder if we have a correct idea of what peace really is, and if you're here this morning and struggling with. issues in life that just seem to turn you inside out and and continually knock you down and keep you where you don't want to be, well, this morning, I, I believe, if you'll listen to what God says, you can leave here with a different heart. If you would, pray with me before we begin. Our Father, I... Am forever grateful. God, that you allow me to do this, to stand and proclaim the great name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Father, and I pray that you would help me to be faithful to it, faithful to your word, faithful to who you are. God, that we might know who we are in light of your greatness, in light of your holiness that we could see ourselves as we truly are and understand what it truly means to have the peace of God in our hearts. God bless this word, bless the people that hear and may your Holy Spirit attend to everything that's done and everything that's said and every response that's made and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to preface this morning with the, me- the message without, out of just two verses out of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I know we're very familiar with these verses. Isaiah chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of his, uh, excuse me, and on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Listen, this peace going forth is not due to us and it's not contingent upon our cooperation with it. It is the zeal of God himself that will bring peace to bear on this earth. I can't bring peace to your life. You can't bring peace to your life. You can't take away all the things in your life that cause you strain and stress and trouble and tribulation and trials. Nobody can take that away. And that's part of the problem that we have in our life today is that our English word does not truly portray everything about the word peace where the Bible means it. We don't have a true understanding of what peace is because we don't really understand what shalom means. We think that peace is, is an absence of, of unrest or, well, you know, internal or external. You know, we, we, we in our minds, we think, well, I'm okay in myself if all these people are just leave me alone. You know people are the problem you know if my wife would just or if my husband or my kids or my parents or my boss you know we want to blame all these others for upsetting our peace and and making life life a wreck listen the only person responsible for your life being a wreck is the one you see in the mirror every morning you're your biggest problem i'm my biggest problem if i lack peace in my heart It's not due to anybody else. It's not due to anything else. And if it is, then I'm looking for peace in the wrong place. Jesus said, peace I give unto you. My peace. My peace. Jesus said, his peace he gives to us. But the Hebrew word, the concept of peace is much broader and deeper than our English understanding. The Hebrew concept of peace signifies a wholeness, soundness, completeness in well-being. And it characterizes, listen, it characterizes God himself. I mean, imagine God is never upset about the way things are. Nothing ever upsets the tranquility of, of God in and of himself. Listen, even as Christ walked this earth, he mourned, he grieved. But even in the mourning and the grieving, he was at peace with his heavenly Father. He was at peace with his Father. He was at peace in who he was. That's part of our problem is that our peace gets upset by by what other people think of us. I, I was... So grateful for, for Tommy King this morning. He came up to me earlier and he... And folks, I know this is hard. But I, I, I mentioned that in the, in the pulpit search committee meeting. I said, look, one thing that concerns me is that people are going to say he's not Nick. And look, I'm you, t- I'm not. Can I tell you something? I never will be Nick. I don't want to be Kevin. <laughs> Kevin don't want to be me, I can assure you. <laughs> I got 11 grandkids. I'm an old man. Kevin's still young. and But I've known Kevin a long time. And, and I, I believe we're going to, we're going to bounce off each other. There are enough similarities. I know where Kevin is doctrinally and theologically, and so I have no qualms whatsoever with serving with Kevin. And I'll learn from a young man. And he'll learn from me, an older man. I, and we'll compliment one another. So listen, y'all, bear with us. Okay, do we get our, we get our bearings? Do we get our feet under us? And... Um, God will bless the union and our fellowship. So, why, why is peace so elusive? Why does it seem so hard to achieve in this world? I, I know, you know, we, <clears throat> some of the biggest problems we have in this world right now, at least in our own culture in our own country, is it seems that, uh, you know, I've seen it on football, on the back of, of NFL helmets. I've seen it painted on end zones. End racism. Stop hate. Well, you know, I'm just sure, you know, there's some, you know, white supremacist somewhere up in Idaho that's, uh, Idaho that saw that on the back of a football helmet. Stop racism, and he got all his guys together and said, "Guys, look, we're going to just quit all this." They just say we need to stop racism. Aren't you sure? Don't you know that's going to get rid of it? <laughs> Seen it on a football helmet, painted on a foot on a on an end zone in a, in a, in a football stadium. That's going to take care of it, isn't it? You know, the problem is this. We don't understand who we are. Paul said rightly, God made of one man, of one blood, all people on the face of the earth. I don't know how it happened that we're different levels of melanin in our skin. I don't know how that happens. Maybe white people just faded over time. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, maybe that's what happened. But I do know this. We all have one father and he's Abraham. I mean, excuse me, is, is, is Adam. One, we all came from Adam and Eve. Every one of us did. And so, for, listen, for me to hate anybody is to hate myself. For me to look down on anybody is to deny the fact that God made all of us in his image. Now, sin has corrupted that image. It's, it's, it's made us what God didn't, didn't make us, like himself. It's corrupted us. Everything about us, our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions, everything. Sin affects every single aspect of who we are. And that's the problem that we, that we face. And, and it goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. That's that's when peace was interrupted. Look back in Genesis chapter 3 for a minute and I know you know every bit of this because I know your pastor and I know he's in Genesis chapter 3 you know the story. Adam and Eve were were put in the garden of Eden that God, God himself planted and the serpent comes to Eve, Satan himself and Tempts her and begins to question God's word. That's the first thing that happens. Listen, if you start doubting God's word, you're on the way down. You start doubting. If you start asking yourself, did God really say you're stumbling? God said what he said, and he meant what he said, and he said everything he did say, and he said it for our benefit. You know the story. He tempted Eve she gave some to adam with her he ate and the minute they did they realized they both were naked and they hid verse 7 in chapter 3 said then the eyes of both them were open and they realized and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths and they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden of the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees of the garden But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see here, look what happens. Number one, shame. Shame. The first effect of sin is shame. Secondly, they avoided, God. They were terrified of him. You know, there are people today that would just absolutely blow any thought or any talk about God off. We had a table set up at the, here's the Be Festival. And we were sharing the gospel with people. It's amazing to me. You want to see what kind of, pe- how people respond to the gospel. Hand out tracts to them or try to talk to them. Two of the responses I remember were this. One guy told me, he said, look, well, I'll come back around in a little bit if I have time. The second lady walked right by me. One other lady walked by me, and she said, no, I'm good. The Bible says there's none good. And I know what she meant by that. But see, people put off. I don't want to talk about it right now. No, I'm all right. Three, blaming others. Boy, if we're not living in this today, I don't know. Isn't it amazing how nothing ever changes? You see the fruit of the fall of the Garden of Eden today. Look what, look what happens. God comes to the woman, the serpent. The serpent. It's his fault. Serpent deceived me, and I ate. So God cursed the serpent, then he goes to Adam. What does he say to Adam? Adam says, the woman you gave me. Blaming God. God, if you hadn't given me that woman, this wouldn't have happened. But the woman was deceived. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Adam had the responsibility of teaching his wife, of telling his wife, of guarding, protecting his wife. Men, listen to me. Your biggest job on this earth is to protect your wife from the enemy. Do you know that? It's not to give her everything her heart desires. It's not to provide everything that she ever wishes. Now, that's, those things are fine. Listen, your biggest job is to protect your wife's precious heart. You guard her heart, men. There's nothing on this earth more precious than your wife's heart. And young lady, listen to me. If you're not married, that man you got your own. You better make sure he's got his eye on your heart. First. Make sure he's got his eyes on your heart. You'll know. You'll know if he cares about your heart. You don't care about you'll you'll know by the way he treats you. What he says about you, what he says to you. What he says about you to other people. How he treats you when you're around other people. What he says about you when you're around other people. You'll know. If it's anything other than your heart, let me tell you get rid of him Dump him tell him to take a hike Give him the key Lee (laughs) Head out the back Jack So as a result, sin affects every part of us. God had kicked them out of the garden. And they couldn't go back. He put a, a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. But you know, with, embedded within the curse of the serpent, embedded in the curse, look down in, in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But is there a woman here that doesn't hate snakes? Most women hate snakes. I don't know if that's because of this or not, but I know most women I know absolutely detest a snake. Look what he says. He will bruise your head and you should bruise his heel the seed of the woman within embedded within the curse of the serpent is a promise that god was going to bring a deliverer god was going to bring a deliver and it's going to be the seed of the woman so what god does then but look over now in verse um verse 21 you see the bible unfolds all this slowly we don't get the big picture. I mean, it just takes place over there. Verse 21, look what he says. So God promised that there would be a redeemer, but he also said in verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, soon as we read right over that, but what, what took place right there? How do you make a garment of skin from an animal without killing it? You see, the only way to cover, the only way to cover their sin was with a, with a, with the skin of an animal, he had to make a garment for him, and listen, it covered, it covered their shame. It covered their shame, and I, and I don't, I, I When I read, I, I, I see things. Anybody else do that? You know, Adam named all the animals, and I know, I, my father-in-law, I, um, he passed away, but. His, I think, so help me, I think the love of his life was goats. I, he couldn't get enough goats. And I helped him with those goats and, and they're the stinkingest animal I've ever been around in my life. But, listen, <laughs> but he and I had so much fun together taking care of those goats. But you know, listen, a little, a little, a little billy. It's the most precious noise you ever hear when they cry. And a sheep is the same way. And I can see Adam naming all the animals. And then when God made covering for him, I can see Adam turn to Eve. And he sees these little brown spots. And he begins to look around and he says, Eve. Where'd that little lamb go? Where'd that little lamb go that I had to nurse? And he looks at Eve and he sees that's that lamb. And I know it's just a sheep. But to cover his shame and his sin, something had to die. Because Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And from that initial moment, I believe sin began to to break the heart of people that knew who God was. That know who God is. Eve, where's that little lamb? I I don't know if y'all know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. I listened to an interview of her, her the other day. Anybody know she's in her 70s now and she's been a quadriplegic for probably 60 years. It happened in a diving accident. And she was a believer. But she began to get very bitter. And she's probably, if you ever hear her, you probably hear one of the most godly women you'll ever hear in your life. Sixty plus years going on being a quadriplegic. Deals with chronic pain. Chronic pain. She said there are ten words that changed her life. Ten words changed her life. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And Johnny Erickson Todd would tell you, there's no way I would be in the relationship I am with my heavenly father now were I not a quadriplegic. You see, decades going on, she realized that that's what God did in order to draw her close to him. Or at least that's an, uh, a result of it. And, you know, that's part of our problem in understanding peace is that we think that when something happens, we lose a loved one. We lose a job. We go through financial crisis. We're in a relationship crisis. And all of a sudden, peace seems to escape us. We think God means us harm. We go right back to the Garden of Eden. We blame God. God, my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart if you'd have just done something. I'd have not lost my job if, if you hadn't have done this. If I'd have been successful in my business, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be bankrupt right. All these excuses we want to make, we want to blame God for them. We do. We may not say those words, but you know how they show up? In a complaining spirit. In bitterness. We blame God, we just don't use those words. We blame God and we lose our peace. Look in Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives the answer to it. Because Paul knew the Prince of Peace. Back to our text again in Philippians chapter 4. Like I said, worldly peace Peace in this world depends on circumstances. And folks, that's what you've got to guard against. Guard against circumstances around you that upset your peace. And you know what that peace is. It's a tranquil heart. It's a tranquil heart. It's a, a tranquility of your spirit that nothing outside it can disrupt. And you think, well, how in the world can that be? That doesn't mean we don't we don't we're not emotional beings. That doesn't mean that we we're not hurt. That doesn't mean that we're not broken hearted. It doesn't mean that. It just means that we don't tie our peace with circumstances. Philippians chapter four, verse four: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know where Paul was when he wrote this book, right? Paul was in prison. He was bound between between two Roman guards for preaching the gospel. Seven times in this book, Paul used the word rejoice. Five times he used the word joy. In fact, most commentators that you read will tell you that the theme of Philippians is joy. Now, Picture yourself teaching a Sunday school class, preaching, sharing the gospel, being a missionary, and getting thrown in jail for doing what you did, bound between two guards, and want to write a letter to a church and talk about joy. Oh, by the way, and the church that you're writing to was formed because you were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. You remember the, Roman, the, the Philippian jailer. Right. So you're in jail again, <laughs> right into a, a church. Rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He said, Let your reason, verse 5, be known to everyone. That what it means a mild disposition. That's the mark of peace right there. Is even in the midst of all of this, you, it's a mild disposition. There's a, a calmness in your spirit that things out there can't upset. And that's why Paul says reasonableness there. Listen, you know what this world needs to see? They need to see professed believers in Christ that are so filled with the peace of Christ that when these things happen, they see a man or a woman that's unmoved. That's unmoved. Paul said earlier in, in, uh, in chapter, um, he said, Stand firm. Stand firm. And that's what he's talking about. Stand firm in your trust in Christ that you're not going to go through anything that he doesn't understand. You don't go through, it. there's not a need you have that he won't meet. You know, the Puritans understood this. They said, if you don't have it, it's because you don't need it. That's real short. If you don't have it, you don't need it. If God's withheld it, it's because it's better for you to not have it. You think, well, that would sure do me a lot of good if I had it. No, it wouldn't. You know what? It'd just make you want more. You see, one of the ways God deals with lust is withholding. One of the ways God's deal with lust is withholding from you. I felt I need to repeat that. <laughs> I know from experience. I know from experience. And I don't mean lust after another woman. I'm talking about weakened lust. That's just an inordinate desire for things that we don't need. You know, contentment with godliness is great gain. Contentment with godliness is great gain. The reason we're not content, if you're not content with what you have, Charles Spurgeon said, you won't be content no matter if you had ten times that much. That's why, because if you're not content now, you won't be content later. So God said, okay, when you get content with what you have, then maybe. I can trust you with more. So, biblical peace. Number one, God is the source of it. God's the source of, of, of the peace. Look what Paul says, verse six: Do not be anxious about anything, but by but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. In everything. What, do you, what is excluded from everything? In everything. Look what he says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Have you ever been in the midst of something that is so <coughs> distressing that you just feel like you're being crushed? Has God ever dealt with you in a way that you realize you've got to stay right there where you are and let him have his way with you because there's something you won't learn out from under that. Listen, I I, I hate to be personal, but the best example I know is the worst job I ever had. I worked for a company in Lawrenceburg. And uh, I was a salesman, and uh, the sales manager just treated me and the other salesmen just horrible. I mean, we we he wouldn't teach us anything about the business, and he did everything himself, and then we were just kind of his lackeys, and I mean, geez, I, I'd been a salesman for 40 years. You don't have to, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. Just point me to the door and show me what, and let us go, and I mean, it just got worse and worse, and I would pray God help me get through the day, and then. I would pray, Lord, help me get through, get to make it to lunch. And then I pray, well, you know, God, help me make it till 10 o'clock. I, I mean, if I just, two, I mean, make it two hours. And by Friday, I was already dreading Monday. And one day I was at work, I don't know what day of the week it was, and it was about 10 or, 10 or 11 o'clock, it was before lunch. And I told the guys around, I said, I'll be right back. And I, I left the plant and I drove around, there was an abandoned plant and I drove around the back of the parking lot where nobody around, you couldn't see anybody, there was nobody else around. And, and I got out of my car and I, I knelt. And I, I was all I could do to stand up. And I, I put my hands on my knees and I just kind of bent over and it was, I said, God, I can't take another minute of this. I can't take another minute of this. And then somewhere inside me, Boy, this wasn't Steve, I can tell you. Somewhere inside me, I said, but I will stay here as long as it takes for you to do in me what you're trying to do. And before those words, my cell phone rang. And it was the man offering me the best job I ever had in my life. You see what? Listen, God doesn't have to see what I'm going to do. You understand that? God knows what we're going to do. God had to bring me to the end of myself where I was willing to continue walking in that before He worked because i'd already made my mind i wasn't going to send out a single resume i wasn't going to look for another job god you know where i am and if you want me to have something else do you know the people that are looking and they know you know how to tell people where i am you know how to find me i don't have to put my name out there god did it now that's a silly example about a job you can multiply that by people in here listen Listen to me, there have been too many times instead of leaving and getting in my car and driving and praying, I got in my car and just left. You understand what I'm saying? You can walk out from under that thing. Can I tell you something? God will bring you right back around to it and it'll get even heavier. The next time will be even worse. God will teach you what he wants you to learn Don't be like me. Learn the first time. Don't make it take seven or eight times. Learn it quick. Learn it quick. Listen, God's a good father. He doesn't hurt people just being vindictive, He's not capricious. The reason for your salvation is to conform you to the image of His Son. And he will crush you to do that. But you'll never lose your peace. You'll never lose your peace. He's the source of it. He said, in prayer and thanksgiving, let your question be known to God. Listen, and leave it there. Leave it there. You know what I mean? You can pray and leave it there. He knows. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which passes, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen, there's a peace that you cannot describe yourself. That's what people need to see with believers. People need to be talking. Listen, you've seen Ronnie Lee, what he's going through right now. You never would guess it by being around him. I mean, he's about whatever it is. Why isn't he, why isn't he screaming and yelling? Why isn't he pitching? Ro- Ronnie Lee understands that there's a, a peace that surpasses understanding. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Listen, I don't know Ronnie Lee long enough to be able to, to use him. Right? I hope, brother. If not, get with me after. And we'll... We'll get it right. You know what I'm saying? Listen, that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, the world doesn't know us. Because the world doesn't respond that way. The world doesn't re- react that way. The world doesn't care about the peace of God. The world wants a peace that they can have and they can manipulate it. They want to make their own peace. What a cheap substitute. For something that god almighty can provide and we want to make it ourselves It'll guard your hearts and my finally brothers look at verse 8 he said finally brothers whatever is true Whatever is honorable whatever is just Whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable If there's any excellence if there's any thing worthy of praise think about these things Do you notice how almost every one of those had to do with their attitude about somebody else? Notice that? Look what he says. Whatever, of course, whatever is uh, true. Man, we need to. Truth is important to believers. Truth is important. A man's a man, a woman's a woman. Men ought to be playing men's sports. Women ought to be playing women's sports. Yeah, leave that there. <laughs> whatever's honorable. whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely oh here we go. Whatever's commendable. Ah. Listen, think about that person you don't like. Anybody come to mind? (laughs) Whatever's commendable about that person, think about that. Whatever's lovely about that person. Whatever excellencies there are about them. Whatever is worthy of praise. You see, I... Part of our problem is our thinking isn't right. And you know where that changes? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. You know, the longer I am, I, I walk with Christ, you know what? I, I cannot write anybody off anymore. I can't write people off. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care how bad they they may seem to the world. I don't know how far they seem from God. I cannot write people off. I, I can't bring myself to do it. Because I realize. But for the grace of God, there I am. But for the grace of God, there I am. I imagine, can you imagine the prayer meetings that must have been held about Saul? I've been to prayer meetings about him. Sure enough, he was going to Damascus. They knew it. God, would you just kill him before he gets here? Just kill him before he gets here. I imagine somebody stood up and said, listen, he killed my aunt and uncle in Jerusalem I'm not welcoming here no matter what. I don't care if he did convert. He killed my parents. Thank God for Barnabas. Barnabas took him. Boy, we all need a Barnabas, don't we? We all need a Barnabas when people are looking at us and downing us. Somebody's going to come along beside us and say, wait a minute. I've heard this man. I've heard this woman. Listen, we need, if we had churches full of Barnabases, Amen. you know why they call him? His name was Joseph. You know why they call him Barnabas? Because that means son of encouragement. We need a bunch of encouragers. Encourage when you fall. Because that's all God uses anyway is falling people, isn't it? (laughs) I keep going back to what Johnny Erickson taught us, that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God allowed sin in the garden to accomplish what he loved. And you know what that was? To make much of his son. To make much of his son. There are, there are three ways that a Christian experiences, experiences peace. Three ways that we glean out, at, least three ways. The first is, I'll list it here, is that the peace of God that comes from salvation at Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Lord Jesus Christ being justified by faith being declared righteous by faith being declared righteous we have peace with God and you know that's the problem that the world has is there there's no peace between them and God and I mean Isaiah says twice there's no peace says my God for the wicked listen if you're not in Christ you can strive all day long in your whole life You'll never know peace. And you sure won't know it after. You think life's bad here? Listen, I heard somebody say, if you're a Christian, this life is all the hell you'll ever experience. If you're not a Christian, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. And boy, I hate to think that this is as close to heaven as I'd ever be. The peace that comes from salvation, that's what Christ came to bring. Secondly, is the, the peace of God. It's a work of spirit in creating us that mild disposition we looked at in verse 5. And it also comes, look at verses 6 through 7 again. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. The second thing, it calls for complete surrender to Christ. A complete surrender, that means your expectations for your life, for your future. Surrender it to him. God, I am yours. Do with me as you will, as you please. God, whatever the cost is, it's worth it. Whatever the cost is, it's worth it. John 14 said, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then verse 27, he said, my peace. He said, peace, i leave you my peace. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he said, let not your, again, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Christ doesn't give as the world does. The world gives and it's temporary. The world gives based on whether the world receives you or likes you or not. Listen, Christ gives because he's gracious. Christ gives because he knows. Like Psalm 103 says, he remembers we're dust. He knows. He knows our frame. He knows how weak we are. But thirdly, and this is the one that he said, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, look, and the God of peace will be with you. Folks, listen to me. There's a difference between the peace of God and the God of peace being with you. There's a difference. You can be filled with the peace of God. Listen, but to know the God of peace to be presence of the God of peace. Look, I got two examples. Turn over to Acts chapter twelve. Look at Peter. In Acts chapter twelve, you know, the James had just been killed. Herod just killed James with a sword, John's brother. He just killed John's brother with a sword. And he saw that the Jews were pleased with it, so he arrested Peter and threw him into prison. Now look what it says. um, In in verse, well, let me read verse 1 through 6. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, This was during the days of unleavened bread. It was right around Passover. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to the squad, uh, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now look at verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping, between two soldiers bound with chains, and sit you before the door were guarding the prison. Bound between these two guards. John had just been beheaded. Peter's in prison for the same thing. Bound between two guards, and he's sleeping. And he's sleeping. I doubt I could be napping during that time unless... the God of peace was in that cell with me. Unless the God of peace was in that cell with me. Why do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could reply to Nebuchadnezzar like they did in the furnace? It's, King, you fire this thing up all you want to. Our God's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we'll not bow down to your God. What was Nebuchadnezzar going to say? They're not going to bow down. and they're, they're going to fry it. Listen, you can't question the presence of the God of peace in your life. Nobody can question it. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't anything to say. Whether they live or die, they're not going to worship my God. They're going to worship theirs. Well, throw them in. <laughs> that's all I could do. Throw you in. Son of man's in there with you anyway. Look at Paul, Second Timothy, chapter 4. And this is probably recalling an incident that's recorded in Acts 23. Look what Paul says in uh, ch- chapter four, Second Timothy, verse 4, uh, 14, excuse me. Alexander, the Coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Now look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Folks, listen. You're standing there being falsely accused and condemned and for doing the very thing God called you to do. And all your people, all your, your friends and your supporters leaving you, Stand standing there all by yourself and there's nobody in front of you but those that are condemning you and accusing you. Well, the Lord has stood with me. And he doesn't, but you know, it's like, that's enough. Is it enough for you? Is it enough? Jesus asked the question. He said, Is it enough? It's enough for a disciple to be like his master. And for a disciple to be like his teacher. I wonder if it's enough for us. Is it enough to be like Christ? Is the peace of God enough? Is the God of peace, the very presence of God, enough in your life? Or have you got to have other things? Look, I want the God of peace with me, and whatever you put after that is going to be your undoing. Listen, Christ is enough, period. Christ is enough, period. But then ultimate peace. Look, at, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll be finished. And as I, Isaiah chapter 11, you know, what we've been talking about is just a, a glimpse of what's to come. Somebody that can live in peace now in the midst of all this that is going on. It's just a glimpse of what we're going to see one day. Look at in Isaiah 11. I'm just going to read verse 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatty calf together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. uh, Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child, uh, child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy. And all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world like that. I mean, we're used to seeing cheetahs chasing a gazelle across the savannah on National Geographic, aren't we? And so, some of you cheer for the gazelle, some for the cheetah. But one of these days, that gazelle and cheetah will be grazing together. One day that lion, instead of feasting on a zebra, their young will be laying down together. He touched on his Sunday school this morning. Jesus said, I make all things new. You see, we've gotten so used to the way things are now that we don't, listen, we don't even long for anything more. We don't even think about it. And the more comfortable, listen, the more comfortable you are in this life, the less you'll look forward to that one. Because we're not looking at this world through the eyes that we need to look through, we don't see the fallenness of it. We just don't want it to touch us. We just don't want the train wreck to plow through our house. Well, it plowed through my neighbors and I feel bad for them, but thank God it was them and not me. We don't really say, but we think. Aren't you going to be glad when there's no more death? There's no more sorrow. Folks, if it weren't for the first advent, we couldn't hope for the second. If it weren't for his first coming, we wouldn't be looking for his second. If he didn't enter this fallen world, we couldn't look forward to him making it new. So here's my question to you. Is Christ your only hope for peace? Or if you settle for something far below what the Prince of Peace offers? Oh, we settle so easily. C.S. Lewis said, you know, a child's being promised this vacation by the seashore. And we're satisfied playing in a mud puddle. It's, listen, it's not that we're too hard to please. We're too easily pleased. We're too easily pleased. We're pleased with trinkets of this world when we ought to have our eyes set on the eternal. We're pleased with a full bank account when we ought to be concerned about Our treasure's in heaven. Where's your peace? In whom is your peace? Where are you looking for peace? There's only one answer that's going to satisfy. The giver of peace. The prince of peace. Listen, he said... Don't get me wrong. He said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. He didn't. He said, I came to bring a sword. And he said, those of your own household will be your worst enemies. Your enemies will be those of your own household. So we sacrifice. We either sacrifice our peace our peace to maintain a relationship that's that's meant to destroy us or we're willing to sacrifice anything on this earth to lay hold of that Prince of Peace. And the only way you do that is by repentance and faith. That's the way you lay hold of it. Listen, you don't have to leave here today looking for peace in the wrong places. I pray you'll leave here today with a heart full of the Prince of Peace to make you new and to give you hope in the future. Let's pray together. Father, (coughs) God, we're grateful that, Lord, when you come, our glorious King, all your ransomed home to bring, Then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lord, I pray that someone will leave here today with that on their lips and in their heart. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.